Hey, welcome to the show. It's Street Fight Radio, the number one anarcho podcast on any station across the nation. I am your host, Brian Quinby. Brett Payne, not here this week. Uh, we're each recording one of these vacation shows with somebody that we like. And uh, I chose to record with Leslie Lee the Third. What's up, Leslie? Hey, how's it going, man? That was a good intro, wasn't it? Like, I yeah. feel good about that <laughs> one. Yeah, we're doing good. We're doing good already, I think. Yeah, well, I don't ever do intros. I, I don't do good intros because my shows by myself that I have to intro are on the bonus feed. So it's like they all know who they're listening. <laughs> they already know. <laughs> we, well, you never know. There might be some, you know, people, you know, just pirating the show just because it's out there, um, out on the dark web, and they just hear it, and they still need to, you know, get the intro too, so that they know who to go back and give their money to for real. Let me just say, if you're pirating the Street Fight bonus feed, it only costs one dollar. Please, like, just <laughs> give us the one dollar. <laughs> <laughs> anytime somebody says, anytime I think of somebody pirating the one dollar show that we do, I'm like, come on, man! <laughs> I made it purposefully so there's almost no barrier to entry, and to the degree that, like, I've looked at podcasts that have less subscribers than us and make like three thousand dollars more than us. <laughs> yeah, like uh, there's a there's one guy I'm really cool with him. He's just fr- great guy fantastic guy but he was the guy who said you know what it's going to be eight dollars for my show and he is balling he is oh. balling out of control because he charged the eight that extra three dollars he's just throwing money around he's got a whole staff uh if, if he's listening i love you man brilliant idea i wish i could have stolen it well we did we do uh we do have an eight dollar tier but it's probably worth like I mean, the amount of work that goes into the $8 tier, it should be the $10 tier. I don't yeah. know why, because it's a zine every month. Yeah. It is bonus shows every week, plus bonus video shows every week. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of shit. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing this with Jack. Uh, me and you can talk about it too, though. Uh, I'm doing a show with Jack in, in September uh see uh i'm doing a shock jock show it's going to be on the five dollar patreon tier because i'm going to start doing five dollar audio because i feel like i can invest time into something and money into some i can invest time and money into some audio you know if i'm making something from yeah you know and I'm going to do, re- I'm doing research. I have just finished reading Howard Stern's newest book. I've read his other two. I just read Anthony Cumia's newest book. I have Man Cow's book coming into the mail this week. And I'm listening to these shows like nonstop. I'm in those worlds. Jack's going to talk about Howard Stern with me. Did you have any kind of, did you listen to any of that stuff? Because I know you were around. Yeah, I, I so I'm from the South, so we had like our own shit. Like we didn't have Howard, Howard Stern was never on the radio where I lived, like ever. He never got syndicated in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. But we had like our own people. Like there was a couple guys from Texas. Like I can't even remember their their names, but they were kind of like the shock jocks. And but like one would have like a Kate hardcore Cajun accent, like one of the cast of characters, and they were very, very like conservative. They all are. 
Like, so. <laughs> he, I feel like Howard Stern, he kind of goes back and forth on certain things. And he's generally like um, socially liberal, I would say, for the most part. Like he he views his shock jockery. I, I don't know. Like that that it's he pisses off like conservatives. He like pisses off Republicans. But like our shock jocks were were Republicans. Yeah. Well, I mean, he like a lot of these guys, their only problem with the government is one, the FCC and two taxes. Like they don't they just don't want to be taxed at all. Yeah. Everything else is like totally fine with them. You know, the war on drugs. Uh, Howard Stern does make a point in all three of his books to say that the drugs should be legal. All of them. So. I mean, he's an ally in that respect. I just, I always wonder, I, I don't know, like, people don't understand how big of a form of entertainment that was. Like, no. how many people <laughs> were listening to that stuff and how much bigger their reach was than ours is at, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, is they, they were so big, like, fucking Howard Stern had a movie made of his life, like, in the middle of his life. Like, he was, like, how old was he? He was, like, 30. He had to be in, like, his late 30s, early 40s, and he already got, like, a biopic made out of him. That's huge. <laughs> That's massive. So, yes, it was actually that I, I saw that movie in a the theater. It's really strange the way I came to it because he wasn't on here either. He wasn't on in, in Columbus, but his book came out and I saw it on the shelf. And for some reason, I grabbed it and I had in school suspension and I read it in like two days. And then I grabbed his second book, Miss America, and I read that in in-school suspension a different time over two. I was like an in-school suspension. <laughs> <laughs> that was the punishment for smoking in the bathroom. So I was always getting caught and then having to go to in-school suspension. And uh, wait, wait, I, I, I don't want to pass over that. That's a pretty weak ass reason. To, for in-school suspension, man. I thought you were like did something cool, but like you were just smoking and bad at smoking too so that you were getting caught i was in the bed well it, i mean if you smoke in the bathroom like five times a day you're gonna get caught oh it's the law of average yeah average. yeah it's the same thing with shoplifting we kind of we talked about this recently on street fight it's like people who shoplift like they know in their mind that they're gonna get caught it's it's not like that it's not like like regular habitual shoplifters don't think they're going to get caught. Their cost benefit analysis is how many times can I do this before yeah. I get caught? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, how much money can I get before I get caught? And with the big box stores, it's like stealing has never been easier. I yeah, don't with, think. Yeah. With the big box stores, I can say from personal knowledge, like some of them like have a do not stop policy. Don't, leave people alone if that you could walk out with like a full cart of something and just walk out the door and if the uh, uh associate like follows you or tries to stop you they will get in trouble they yeah. will get in trouble because they're violating company policy you're just supposed to be, let people go and then they'll use the footage or whatever to try to catch you if they can yeah and and I mean, like, uh, we, we, a long time ago, we were talking to people who work security at Walmart on street fight, like to find out how much of the store they can see. And like, there's no way to cover that whole store. 
There's just yeah. no way to have cameras that can see every corner of that store. And here's the other thing: like they're getting uh, a lot of these stores, they're getting rid of the in-store like loss protection person. Now they're farming it out. So like you're, you know, you're you might be shopping in Ohio. Like your security guard might be in Indiana, and he's looking at you know five stores all at the same time or some shit like that. That's great. That's great news. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean the the self scan has already like the ways that they try know, to right? stop you from <laughs> steal the the ways that they try to stop you from stealing from the self scan is that they'll put a camera so you can see your face as though <laughs> you're gonna look at your face and all of a sudden be like, what am I doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How low have I sunk that I don't want to? Uh, pay five dollars for this bottle of starbucks coffee that i just pretend to scan or i scan one protein bar but take two yes Every, everybody does it i'm sure everybody does it because you're already you should be able to do it because you're fucking working uh the register at that point um and you deserve a little bit of compensation for that right i worked at kroger which is the big grocery store here i I worked there for and when I was eight, 19, 19 years old. I worked as a bagger, uh, and there was a fleet, not a fleet, a whole troop of baggers, right? There was a bagger for each cashier. There was a cashier and then a bagger for each cashier. And now with the self-scan, there's no baggers. They don't, they might have two working, and most of the time they're just out grabbing the carts. And each cashier works five different cash registers. Yeah. So the labor cost has to be down enough that like they could give you a cut on your on your groceries if you scan them and bag them yourself. They're just making more money off of you because everything's more expensive. Yeah, and so they they and they obviously account for the increased amount of shrinkage when they're doing this. Like that's a they like they know like okay, more people are gonna uh, even if they're just innocently if they just fuck up, they're gonna be walking out of the store with stuff they didn't pay for, and they account for that and say, you know what, we're making more money by it being able to hire less people because this is what all of these CEOs want to do. They want to re cut labor costs down to the rock. Uh, bottom and so that poor cashier who used to have to work one register now has to watch uh, five registers at the same time while checking out and I guarantee you most of them don't give a fuck if you uh, <laughs> if you take an extra loaf of bread or whatever no and you know it has like degraded the level of service in every one of the like service industry places that that you go to if that makes sense like the movie theater is a more of a pain in the ass now than it was when they had people doing all the stuff yeah you know like when i go to the movies uh nobody can figure out their fucking phone like to to i know how to use it because i go to the movies a lot you bring your phone up ticket you bring the tickets up on your phone and they scan it. Nobody else knows, seems to know how to do that. <laughs> They're like closing the machines out in front, but they also, there's nobody like doing the tickets. It's like, it is a pain in the ass to go to the movies. And it's the same thing with grocery shopping sometimes where it's like, you go to the store at midnight, there's only self scan open. And, and like, 
half of the people can't really fucking figure out how to do it. Like, or fast food restaurants. None of this stuff has made things better at all. The one like thing I do like about it is just like seeing like obviously bougie as fuck people try to have to figure out a scanner scanning groceries for the first time uh, for themselves like that's the only thing about it because they get so fucking angry they get so fucking mad i remember i I actually saw one guy he got so mad the self-scanner like he punched he hit it with like some rebar that he was trying to buy and (laughs) broke the screen and walked out and like they had a camera on you, bro. They know who you are. <laughs> and he had like paid for like he had like actually used like identification while he was there to like <sighs> buy it or whatever. Like, so that dude like went to jail for that. And that's kind of funny to me. So many dudes, like so many, like uh once you I don't know what amount of money you have to get to because i haven't hit it yet like what kind of comfort in your life you have to get to i know you have to be like a white dude and i know you can't have tattoos but there comes an amount of money where people think that it's impossible for them to go to jail yes (laughs) there is there is a level like you could you just have been you've been coasting your whole life like you don't even because most of the crimes people do are like crimes of poverty anyway so like you're not really considering you like poor people have to think about doing crimes like all the time like and with the real possibility that they're going to go to jail and they don't have a lawyer on call like but once you get to that certain level of wealth of privilege like first of all most crimes you don't have you don't even consider because you don't need to do them because you got money and then uh and it's just all like white collar crimes right and no one gets caught for doing those it's like it's like what you said about smoking in the bathroom it's a law of averages like most but it's like you know nine hundred ninety nine thousand to one that you're ever going to get caught and actually arrested and jailed for doing those and even if you do like you have a lawyer for these things right and one of the one of the main things and and you're right about the lawyer thing too is because like one of the jobs that is really or, or one of the crimes that happens to everybody across the spectrum, across the income spectrum, race, sex, gender, uh, like across all the spectrums is drunk driving. And like with drunk driving, uh, you can get three days in jail in Ohio. There's a minimum of three days in jail. So you absolutely have to spend three days in jail unless you can spend like $4,000 for an attorney yeah. who can then get the jail taken off of it. Yeah. Or if you know the sheriff, because you're a prominent businessman, like there's a bunch of ways for people to get out the go good old boy network. You can just, and you know, if you, I, I, I it does kind of drive me crazy that like, I don't understand how anyone rich could ever get a DWI because it seems like that does seem like a crime of like i don't know not necessarily poverty but like like i think time people say time is money and i feel that a lot i always feel like i'm i have no time i have no patience i i I mean i have no i can't fuck around i always have to be doing something with the show promote this or that or the other um but if i had a bunch of money i wouldn't have to worry about that so i feel like if you have a bunch of money and like you're just get drunk and fucked up somewhere you can just stay there like what's the rush what do you have to go to do that you need to be like do like a dwi for like it's not even about calling a cab or uber it's like if i were like you know 
all these celebrities who get uh, DWIs. Like if I was like Hugh Grant, right, and I got like drunk, super drunk somewhere, I would just fucking stay there until I was like sober. Like what are they going to do? Are they going to kick Hugh Grant out the restaurant? No, they're going to keep the restaurant open all night for Hugh Grant. Yeah, I mean, the thing when you say it's like, when I said it's like not even like a crime of poverty, one of the things is if you drive a nice car, you're so unlikely to get pulled over. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't even drive a nice car. I drive a 2015 Kia Soul and uh, I don't ever get pulled over. I have never been pulled over in that car. And uh, I live in this, I live in a neighborhood where everybody basically drives a late model car. So, Anytime I see a car that's pulled over on the side of the road, it's like a 90s model, like a Grand Am. Like they only really pull over cars that poor people are driving anyway. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're black. If you're black in a nice car, then you get pulled over. Yeah. I saw a guy. I It, it was so fucked up. He was like, uh, I, and I know this is, he was in my neighborhood. It was a black guy on a motorcycle in my neighborhood. And you could tell it was like a really fast motorcycle and he was driving 25 because he fucking knew <laughs> that if he went one mile over the speed limit, they were going to get him. And it made me feel horrible about where I live. Um, so uh, one of the things you guys do or, or some of what you guys do that I'd like to get into is like uh, the movies and TV and stuff like that, like kind of your philosophies on that stuff. And, uh, and, and video games even, you know? Um, so, uh, I guess it's, it's hard to say, like, I guess we're in the summer. We're in midsummer now. Have you seen anything yet this year? That, that was worth for shit. Were, <laughs> it was worth it. Yeah. Like the only th I've seen, uh, like I watched, you know, the Avengers movie out of obligation because it's part of my job now. Like I, we, uh, we had to cover it. We were legally obligated. At some point, we promote. We had the word nerd in our description, and now we're legally obligated to cover all the Marvel and Star Wars movies. I think you for are. All <laughs> I actually think you are. Like I come to you for that. Like that, I really do come to your show for coverage of like, I, I guess like, because I never had that nerd thing. Like I wasn't, I've, I've only, like, I've said this before. I've only seen two of the star Wars movies. Uh, I have seen all the Marvel movies, but I didn't grow up with comic books. Like I didn't know any of the Marvel characters. I thought comic books were for nerds. Oh, you know okay. what I mean? Like I just didn't look at them. I, I, well, I mean, so that that's really interesting because I, I kind of want to talk to you know someone for because you're the last like of that generation that could ever say that right like <laughs> yeah. that's not gonna know like all these superheroes because now if you watch movies at all you know who fucking Squirrel Girl is and yeah. Rocket Raccoon like even the, these minor uh, worthless characters like if you watch movie any of the most popular movies you're gonna know. Uh, who these people are and that's going to continue for you know entirety of the future so how do you feel now like all this thing that you ignored and didn't pay attention to is now like just everything now yeah i mean it sucks it, it's not that it's like a thing that bums me out is i loved it at first right like when iron man came out i thought it was so cool the first one, I had never heard of Iron Man, and it actually came out the same summer as The Dark Knight, and uh, I was actually one of the only people that said I liked Iron Man more 
than I like the Dark Knight. Like okay. I, I, I felt like the Dark Knight was like kind of messy a little bit, and uh, not enough Joker. I'm, I'm an idiot. So <laughs> if there's one good thing in a movie, it has to be the whole thing. Yeah. The whole <laughs> I, I don't believe in like scarcity, <laughs> but, but uh, it is it. Now that it's a whole big thing and everybody knows it and it, it has just covered everything, I, I think I've had enough. I, I think uh, I want them to start making action movies again, like action movies for adults again, yeah. I think. Well, that's the well, that is the one movie that I really like saw this year that I really like liked. And that's John Wick, uh, para, para, uh, John Wick Chapter Three Parabellum. And I fucking loved it. I thought that was fantastic. I kind of am tempted to go to the theater and see it again before it leaves because it was just like it's an action movie for adults. Like we used to get a lot more of those and uh, now we don't. And like even the act, even the action movies that are supposed to be all ages, like the action mostly sucks. It is like right. not good at all. It's like completely um, worthless for the most part. Um, it like infinity war. It's like, do you, does anybody remember any of those fights? Like, at all like i don't think so i think maybe you remember when all the heroes came out and just kind of stood posed in slow motion but what that is is a, like a splash page of a bunch of characters that's not an action scene but john wick like is was visually stunning and also had you know great great well thought out fantastic uh fantastically choreographed action scene throughout <laughs> Well, one of the uh, something about uh, this is like a good way to look at it is like in wrestling, right? There are people, there are two sort of schools of thought about how you would present something like wrestling. And uh, there's the wrestling is about moments and you create these moments, you build to these moments, and then you'll have this moment that you can put out there and people can see it, or you can present just good matches that people enjoy and those will generally involve some moments but you know uh they're not as maybe dramatic and i think that the marvel movies have now turned into this thing where it's like they just want something that they want a picture in the movie that you would that, like there's no thought put in to how the fight will play out there's more thought put into just aesthetically this is the fight you'll get to see like Spider-Man and Iron Man fight the same guy at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, I think this has happened to me over the past. This is probably just a year. Cause I, I was into them last year, but I kind of, maybe I'm not looking hard enough, but I'm a big budget, like blockbuster kind of person. For some reason, I've just always liked them. I guess. And I don't feel like they make any of those for adults anymore. Like it doesn't feel like anything is for adults anymore. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's not like, you know, the Marvel movies are necessarily for kids. I mean, my God, uh, Mar both Iron Man and Scarlet Witch commit suicide in, in game. I, <laughs> like you see fucking yeah. Iron Scarlet Witch's like blood and brain matter splatter. On the There's two suicides in Godzilla and the new Godzilla too. Two of them. <laughs> but it, it doesn't make them <laughs> necessarily like for adults. It's just this kind of I don't know. It's, it's hard to know who they're for. Like, it's not like an age 
thing. I, I don't know. It's like completely but, undefinable. It's like for the producers, I get. I don't know who. The but what if I like what? If, I would love to see movies like Beverly Hills Cop exist. Yeah. Or like that that movie was not fucking for kids. Like a a kid, I watched it as a kid and I loved it yeah. because I loved Eddie Murphy and I was a bad kid who had a dirty fucking mind. But like uh it was it was specifically geared towards adults. It was fucking rated R and it was a it, it was like about a cool guy doing cool stuff. Yeah. Know? And like, there's nothing like that. Like I I'm I've been trying to find a big budget. Uh, so the last big budget comedy, the last two, I'll, I'll, I'll name the last two is tag and uh, date night are the last two that I think like were actual comedy movies. And like, I hated those fucking movies. Yeah. I hated I, tag. I, <laughs> I saw tag. I, I had no intention of watching it. I actually kind of liked it because I liked the, the action scenes were actually kind of good. In it. <laughs> like that, that's what I liked about it. Like the action, like Jeremy Renner's, you know, pretty good at this, that sort of thing. I like, I thought the action scenes were good, but like, and I thought the ending was kind of like different and like, I don't know. I guess the adults kind of, acting like children. Yeah. Like that was a real, like one of those things where you just watch it and it made. I watched it and it made me think of like 40 year old guys that collect Funko pops, you yeah. know, like that was what that movie made me think about. Yeah, it is. It does have that like kind of infantilizing nature that I think, you know, started with the hangover, like all of these like older men still acting like children because, yeah. and like, I think that's like the league. I, I really love that TV show, the league, but it's like, the same thing um i think it works better in a tv show than a film because in the all these films like you're supposed to care about these characters as like people and human beings and you know they always have some kind of dramatic thing going on whereas with you know a pretty good sitcom like you don't give a shit about that it's just about the laughs so you don't really like the characters aren't real people they're just like these complete other uh sociopaths um that you're watching do funny things while in the movie they try to flesh out all the characters and give them these human elements but any of these humans would be completely insufferable because they're all like you know baby uh adults right and and it just feels like um i don't know i like i think i there's a bunch of those comedies the beverly hills cop the 48 hours uh there just a lot of movies like that that used to come out that I guess seem like a risk now, you know, yeah. like, like I the good know. guy, like I think uh, I, I didn't get around to watching it, but what was it called? Like the good guys or something like that. He, it came out a couple of years ago. It had Ryan Gosling in it. I think yes. It was, the nice guys, the nice guys. I, actually, the good guys is good too. It's Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> I like that movie too. Yeah, but the nice guys is like I felt like one of those type of movies, but like that was like direct to DV. Like it felt like it was almost direct to DV. Yeah. I guess they had some uh, did have a release, but um, it cost fifty million and they only made like sixty two million, which means it lost like forty million. <laughs> and Disney's just I mean because there has to be a thing. I guess what I and we've talked about this on your show before too is a middle ground between like indie movies that are all like about like a really artistic woman in New York. 
<laughs> and, and and Marvel movies. Can we have something in between that where yeah. that are <laughs> it's like yeah. a fun movie that is about a normal person that gets into maybe an extraordinary circumstance or something? Yeah, it's like um like the mid budget movie has you know completely just fizzled out and died. It doesn't exist anymore and who knows if it's going to be able uh to come back like and like the, with the netflix buying up all these movies and making their own movies and amazon making these their own movies and like a lot of them aren't even like mid-budget they're like micro budget but they yeah. talk about them like they're you know kind of mid-budget or big budget films it's kind of dark like you you you, you mentioned but like beverly hills cop and 48 hours but like and lethal weapon too um yes. as well but what but what about like terminator like terminator yeah. was the r-rated movie that was huge that massive people love of course kids watched it we liked it um i watched terminator when i was a kid but like why isn't like the new why is the new terminator almost certainly going to be rated pg-13 yeah i mean it, it's like now that you bring up terminator that was a movie i wanted to watch as a kid and my dad wouldn't let me but he did let me watch revenge of the nerds which is he should way have. worse <laughs> way worse than terminator but like even that, it's like that movie wasn't for kids at all. There was kids were not any part of the thought process for Revenge of the Nerds. You know, that, that was for teens. You know, I just saw uh, Booksmart, which is kind of supposed to be a teen sex comedy. And uh, I, uh, I, my, I went with a 14-year-old girl. And I'm a 40 year old man, and it felt like it wasn't made for either one of us. <laughs> <laughs> My wife watched it, and she like uh, didn't like it either. And she was like, and she's she said like it one scene. There's like a they do karaoke to Alanis Morissette, but they're like teenagers. Like what teenagers are listening to Alanis Morissette? Like yeah, I could just like when you're in high school, you listen to like current modern stuff it's like when you get to college that you go back and listen to the oldies which is where it set um is now like that that and like what really was weird about Booksmart is like you would log on to Twitter and like all these film people would be saying you have to go see Booksmart. It's so important that you go see Booksmart. If we need more movies like this, and it all it is is like it's super bad. It's super bad um, with literally Jonah Hill's sister um, in the role of Jonah Hill from Super Bad. Like it was just this weird nepotistic. Uh, thing and where they made somehow made a teen movie that teenagers would that would not at all appeal to teenagers but did appeal to like a lot of 40 year old men who happened to be friends with olivia wilde who directed <laughs> it i'm not a person who is uh I, i'm not against that kind of thing like i i there's a show on hulu called pen 15 that i thought like really nailed that you know, and, and I watched it with my wife and then I recommended it to my daughter after we finished watching it and she watched it by herself and everybody in my house loved that show. And it's about two girls that are teenage girls going through like puberty and shit. I, I think it's like 13 or 14 and it's fucking really funny. And uh, as a dude, they, you know, I saw things that I would have never considered for a, a girl or anything like that. And I thought it was great, but I feel like, but they're played by like four year olds, right? Right. Right. Yeah. But in, in book smart, 
I mean, one of the girls is driving a car that has an Elizabeth Warren 2020 sticker on the back. <laughs> like they're like Pod Save America people. And I just, I can't in my ever in my life believe that there's a teenager in high school listening to Pod Save America. <laughs> no. And if there is, I don't want to see a movie based on that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, like some people were saying, like everybody in the film is like a genius. All the kids got into fantastic colleges or yes. got hired by Google. I'm like, what, who, what teen is going to identify with this? Like that's like 95% of teens are like, aren't going to do any of this stuff. So why would they want to watch a movie about their peers who are going to be so much more successful than them and not have to struggle as much as them? Like, it's just like really weird because all the other teen most, because when you look at like, uh, you know, American pie, for example, pretty, you know, privileged kids but like they never talked about their success it was all about like how they were kind of losers and versions that were trying to get like they weren't super losers in american pie i think they were like mid-level like kind of just average dipshit so you were so they were underdogs in that starting off so you were kind of rooting for them and they keep kept embarrassing themselves the film was about to embarrassing uh, themselves uh perpetually then you get the super uh super bad it kind of takes like a little like rapey turn yeah. like like Jonah, the point of Jonah hill is like he's trying to get this girl drunk so she can she'll have sex with him like i still very you know probably problematic at the time like it it felt kind of, i think it felt kind of weird at the time like even the film acknowledges that like oh this is not what you're supposed to do i don't know like like it's it American Pie seems so much more innocent in comparison to that. Right. And and the other thing about, I guess the other thing about Booksmart, and I didn't think about this until you brought it up, but the loser in the movie is going to Yale. You yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> like, the fucking, I was a loser in high school and I had no shot at any university you know like there needs it, it is very strange no the loser i would say one of the other losers in the movie did they got hired at google there's no fucking yeah. losers in this world at all they're all like winners and that sucks who wants to watch movies about winners i know I, like or comedies though i mean who who wants to watch a comedy about people who I don't know. It it like wasn't I I I I guess I didn't I don't understand what they were going for. But when you explain when I saw you tweeting about it and saying like, you know, it's like a lot of 30-year-old men are super into this movie, it's like, okay. Well, that that fucking now <laughs> it makes sense because these girls basically just act like 30-year-olds in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. um you did bring up though Netflix. And uh, I do you pay for Netflix? Uh, my uh, sister does. Okay, so you have a legit Netflix account. Yes. What? I don't know. I, I guess I'll ask you. Like, when should I fucking can? I don't know when. I want to cancel it, right? Yeah, you don't know when to cancel it. And nobody in my family will let me cancel it. But I feel like we're at the time where I could cancel this fucking thing because it sucks everything about it sucks and and i'm bringing it up actually so me i can read through some of the uh netflix original series with you <laughs> just so we can look at it yeah it's oh it's shit hold up bad. 
Ah, I got to turn the volume off. How do I do that? All right. Oh, I can't hear it, but... Uh, Boy, I love that autoplay yeah. on there. That's <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I'll, I'll just look up there. Because I, I, I went through their original series yesterday, and half of them are British shows or, or shows from Mexico that they just slap their name on. Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the it's a pathetic service. It, what they <laughs> offer is absolutely pathetic. And I have Hulu too. Um, Hulu gets used in my house, but Netflix does Netflix has kind of turned into a thing that you just have to have. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, so it, it's hard with Netflix, right? Cause you've had, I've had Netflix for like, 10 15 years like it seems like forever and like the thing that always like keeps like all the i, I i've been say, saying this before like the saturation of the netflix originals is what's gonna like really hurt them because at a certain point people are gonna realize oh they're just giving us like cheap comedian tv shows that like i never would have watched and they're telling us to binge them like they're gonna like and they're telling you to binge a new one like every single weekend like i i they're fucking um their twitter accounts are fucking wild as wild as shit like they're going out and lecturing people about how why they how they have to watch netflix how they are allowed to talk about netflix like all this shit that like this, you know, woke uh, brand splaining uh, that they do, which is like a real big turnoff. So I do like, and like, there, there's like some good stuff on it, but most of it is, you know, shows like the good stuff or like the better BBC shows, um, and like the documentaries. But you can get those. You can like get crime documentaries from like Investigation Discovery. And when you look at like what's actually on there, like there's so few movies. There's like you can count on a couple of hands how many movies um, that are on there that were made before like 1980. Like so they kind of broke that promise that they had where they were, you know, we were supposed to be about film and preserving film and film culture. You're supposed to be able to watch all of your favorite movies all the time, anytime you feel like it. That's done. That's gone completely. Like <laughs> even if you look at like class documentaries like half of them are racist propaganda films that are like public domain like they don't have to pay <laughs> to host them they're like just like you know this is how we're gonna get the nips and shit like that like that is the like the classic documentaries on netflix they really made the shift towards like putting out these tv show after tv show after tv show that you're that like and all of them are soap operas, right? So, like, you can't just watch one episode and get a complete feeling and complete stories. Like, you have to watch all 10 episodes. And you're supposed to watch them all in one weekend. And I don't think that's how people really actually enjoy watching TV. I don't think that's what people want from TV. There's a reason why the most popular, longest-running shows on TV are or procedural stuff like law and order and csi where you can watch one episode any episode you pick you can watch it understand it completely get a full story know who the characters are and be done with it or watch another one from a completely different year completely different season and still be fine i don't think people are really into what amounts to you know a 10 15 hour mostly boring movie i don't think that's what people want from their tv 
Right. And, and these aren't movie, these TV shows are not, they're cheap as hell. Yeah. And, and like, so one of the main ones that they've been advertising to me, and this is probably just because of my taste, kind of a telling on yourself moment is bad blood, which is sons of anarchy from Montreal. It's (laughs) (laughs) a Montreal (laughs) sons of anarchy kind of ripoff. It even has a couple of the guys from sons of anarchy in it. (laughs) And it is just that show is the one that they push like basically just to me, they want me to watch a Patriot act with Hassan Minaj, but like, I don't come here for that. I don't like, I don't go for a weekly. Yeah. That's really weird. That's, I don't know why they keep trying to do the weekly thing. I don't know how they can, cause that's not what people want on Netflix. They want like all those, like imagine like if you logged on to Netflix and then like every episode of Jimmy Kimmel was on there, like all like, 15,000 episodes. That would be bizarre. You would never stop start watching that ever. Like you would never go back and watch that. I mean, people, this is what people want. And and they sh- that they're trying they don't have the ability to do this. And and they're not going to pay for it. But people want prestige TV. They want you to drop 10 episodes of something that is good. Here's the fucking thing. Like breaking, so I I think they're chasing that Breaking Bad thing, right? Like when Breaking Bad was on TV, it wasn't that big, and then it came out on Netflix, and people started to binge it, and then by the last season, people were ben- binging Breaking Bad and watching it and getting very excited about it, and it was hitting high numbers according to Netflix. So they want to have that again, but they don't want to pay for the people that fucking they don't want to pay for the talent and all of that stuff or or the effect or any of that stuff they don't want to pay for that stuff oh literally literally because hannibal um fantastic show one of the best shows ever been on television i'm shocked that nbc uh made it because it was so good uh nbc canceled it after the third season and there was a deal on the table for them to revive it for season four on netflix and Brian Filler, who was the uh, showrunner on it, he turned it down because they were going to make it do it for um, too little money and too fast too. They were going to make him do it really, like re- really fast and cheap. And he was like, "I cannot. I'm not going to, you know, sully like the reputation of the show, which was a very, you know, visually stunning, well made show where you know you saw the budget on the screen all the time. Like he wasn't going." to do that to his show so he turned down the deal to like continue the series because netflix didn't want to um actually pay the proper money and so they're not you know really they have you know it may seem like they are like deeply in debt they do spend a lot of money yeah. but they spend it on a bunch of different things they don't give uh too many things like they gave a lot of money to marco polo which they canceled. They spent a ton of money on that. I don't think anybody ever <laughs> sat and fucking watched it. I don't know thing. a single per- I didn't even know it was there and I don't know a single person that watched it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Like it's weird what they choose to spend money on. I'm sure they spent uh, spend a lot of money on arrested development, but that last se- like who watched like season 5 of arrested development? Like did anybody like care by the time it came out? I, God, I don't I- think so. I hated the season. The first season they made for Netflix. Oh, yeah. It's all. I fucking hated that. And, you know, but 
I can't bless. I don't know if I, I arrested development doesn't age well, but no comedies really age. Well, I don't think I, I loved arrested development. I think it was my favorite show for a long time in the first few seasons, but I have watched it again. And I'm like, ugh, too cute. I don't like this. <laughs> I dis I disagree. I I go back and I can watch the first three seasons and still enjoy them. They're still like fun and funny. But the with the fourth season, it got really weird because first of all, Netflix they ended up like not locking all the people down to be in there at the same time. It's an ensemble comedy where all the none of the ensemble was together um, for any of the episodes. Like, and they just and they did get they did it the binge way which i actually think is a really like bad way to like you shouldn't be writing with the intention that oh people are going to watch all 10 episodes in a row that is not how you write that's not how you make tv shows yeah. we mentioned breaking bad people they did not write that thinking people are going to sit down and watch all 10 episodes in a row on the dvd no they wrote it like we have to keep people hooked in week to week we want them to be anticipating what's going to happen next we want you know big finishes we want the people who are going to you know watch one episode to be satisfied but also want a little bit more like we want we want people to you know jump be able to start on the fifth episode once the buzz starts going and still know what's going on but when you're but netflix just does the binge thing where like you're expecting people to watch every episode so that way the first two episodes can be boring bullshit um you can <laughs> run out of story by the eighth episode and then you just keep going because people are just going to keep watching even if like the main like plot points have been resolved like yeah like so that's how they wrote the fourth season of arrested development where you're supposed to watch the the assumption was everybody was going to watch every episode in a row when like they were when you know the second third season they were writing for their lives because they thought that like they were going to be canceled at any time like th that is like how you get like better tv shows with that you know sense that all right we got hit out of the park every time not this oh we have you know 10, 13 hours of uh, audiences undivided attention and we can just fuck around if we feel like it you know that is that's a super good point i i don't i didn't re i've never thought about the fact that like you the reason tv works the reason there there is better stuff on tv is because they have to get you to come back every week so there has to be something during each episode that makes you be like, Oh shit, I want to know what happens next. And these binge shows don't do that. Like I've the, the, the binge watching TV shows, the ones that all come out at the same time. I can't tell you how many I've just quit and didn't care. Man in yeah. the high castle is a perfect fucking example that I watched all the episodes in the first season, except for the last one. I've never had any desire to go back and watch the fucking last episode of the season. <laughs> <laughs> Like it, it's just you're you're totally right, but like I just binged the last season of Better Call Saul with my wife. We bought it and uh, we watched it in like three nights because like every episode is good and ends in a yeah. way that it's like shit. What is gonna happen after this? You know, so that that's super good. 
that that is like a really good fucking point. I like the first three seasons of Arrested Development. I'm not like I hate to go back and be like, oh, I don't like something that I truly, truly enjoyed. But I think I watched it recently. And for some reason, it tied in with like Modern Family because I know some oh. of the same people are involved. And oh. Modern Family is bad. It's yeah. like a bad TV show. <laughs> yeah, it's like the it's the bad version of Arrested Development. It very much is because well, first of all, the Modern Family like this is the this is how you tell a good sitcom from a bad sitcom. And I have tried this test on a lot of things, and it always works. The good sitcoms, the only ones that are good are the ones that acknowledge that the characters are bad people because <laughs> all sitcom characters are sociopaths. It's just the nature of how the sitcom works because, you know, go, Three's Company, Friends, all these shows, like most of what the characters do is lie to each, to their best friends and their family, right? Every episode is like, you know, Teddy has a, some has gets a bad grade and he does and he doesn't want his father to know so he comes up with more and more elaborate schemes to hide this from his parents now the good now the bad sitcoms you know everybody figures out that teddy's been lying the whole episode and dad sits him down and they all hug and have their you know uh have their moment where they you know the truth comes out but then they all still say oh you're still a great kid we love you blah 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 the good sitcoms are the ones that are like where like Teddy like just is like people acknowledge that Teddy is a piece of shit, but also like the parents are pieces of shit too because they've been running some scheme as well because they're they've made their kid not comfortable with them, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Like all the good sitcoms are the ones that really like lean into the characters being bad people. That's why Seinfeld is good. That's why the first three seasons of Arrested Development are good. That's why it's always Sunny in Philadelphia is good. Mm -hmm. And that's why Modern Family is bad because no matter how much you know bullshit they pull in, I've watched a, a number of episodes of Modern Family and there are they do a bunch of shitty things. At the end of the day, they all like assume that they all like each other and love each other and that they're all good people when that should not be the case. They should hate each other at, at least on some level. Right. That's a strange thing. And this in my house and, and uh, I have, a, I have like a, um, a complex about dying alone. Uh, when I was in college, I took a course I had to read a book called heat wave. It was about a heat wave in Chicago that like hundreds of people died in. And when they started to look through who died, it was mostly white men, old white men, because they had alienated everybody in their uh. lives and were living alone. <laughs> right. So I have this weird complex about like, I don't want to alienate people. I want to be a kind person and a good person so that I don't fucking die alone in the end, you know, because yeah. that's like the way that people like me generally go out. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so like my family watches sitcoms they, they, and TV. They just watch a ton of TV together, and I don't watch any of it. And I feel this weird separation, like, am I being picky? Am I, like, being an asshole? But I don't want to watch This Is Us. I don't want to <laughs> watch The Goldbergs. I'm not interested in, like, uh, uh, what's, like, I'm not interested in, in Fresh Off the Boat or, uh, um, Modern Family or, uh, Blackish or any of yeah. those shows. Like, I just, 
none of them appeal to me <laughs> particularly, and I don't know what it is. You know, and 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 I I always admire you and Jack and that you're willing to just be like, well, that's because it like sucks. That's that's why I don't <laughs> like it because I can't I can't. I don't want to say it sucks. I want to have a hundred reasons why it sucks without me just like blanking blanket saying, you know, well, sitcoms just suck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause it is kind of, you know, simple really is like, like you, you're turned off by sitcoms that lie to you. And most of them do. I think like most of them are like trying to, um, like they're they're very formulaic and formulaic in a way that's very you know dishonest and doesn't represent and they're not trying to tell you anything interesting or real or like they don't have any connection to the real world and they're not doing and even though they're completely disconnected from the real world they're not giving you anything interesting instead it's this very mundane fantasy of people like being shitty to each other uh, but still being good people. Like that's the, like, you know, the fancy land, like friends, for example, it's like, there's no way those, all those people could be remaining friends because all they do is lie to each other. Like every single episode. So it almost is like a sci-fi fantasy fiction where for sociopaths now that you can be as shitty as you want to be to the closest people um that care about you and still be loved and still be a good person i mean everybody in the shows i just mentioned too are all doing better than me financially oh yeah and better than anyone else i know financially Oh, that, that that is one thing about like these new sitcoms, especially the ABC ones. Like the, all the ABC ones are like okay. I get I I, I do kind of like Blackish. I think Blackish kind of acknowledges that they're bad people, but the but the premise of the show is that they are a upper middle class black family, and then fresh off the boat is like a small business owner immigrant, <laughs> and then Modern Family they're just all fucking rich. They're just yeah. fucking rich for no fucking reason. But uh, like a couple of them are. Uh, there's one gay fat. Uh, one the. Uh, Two, there's two gay dads on the show and one like old guys married to this young um, immigrant woman who's extremely beautiful and um, would never probably marry um, him in real life. But um, yeah, there's, but they're all fucking rich and all, and they have like that sheen to, that uh, ABC sh like sheen yeah. to it too. Like all the shows look the same and it just like suburban wealth is like, you know, in, and even like even the like the color palette, you know, screams like suburban wealth, country club, uh, tennis on the weekend kind of shit. Right? Doesn't it feel like though people when you watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, they're grimy as hell, and it's yeah. a show that has been on for how I don't know how many years now, but a lot, and people respond to that, and it just feels like you could make a grimy comedy like a, a comedy about people without money like can exist you know and could be very funny uh, especially like a realistic one could be very funny and it bums me out that that like because you know that somebody people watch this as us people watch these shows and they feel inadequate after they watch them. Or it also probably just makes them feel like un they're just unsuccessful. 
Like I don't, I haven't even met this like this baseline of success that they show on Modern Family. <laughs> like that is not like anywhere near where you need to where where uh, regular people are. No, you don't get to see regular people on TV, and like it's always like it, it gets to it like extremes too, where like all the they do all the jokes are about them being poor. Like Roseanne, for example, like Mm -hmm. every joke became like, when you're like poor and everybody else, you know, is poor, you might like, you don't, you're in the shit. You don't necessarily talk about it as much as they do on like Roseanne where they're just constantly. So it is a bunch of real life, rich people talking about how horrible it must be to be poor. (laughs) That's what I mean, do you, uh, cause here's what I think. And, and I think I formulated this p- opinion from you and Jack mostly, but especially Jack. I, I think Jack talks a lot about this. Uh, and I, I, it's something I've been thinking about since street fight started to sort of take off. And, and I, I wanted to write and stuff. I would love to yeah. write something or make something, um, with Brett, me and Brett would love to like write something or make something, even if it's just a sketch or something like that. And, uh, the reason why it's because I never had a dream to be a television writer, but now that I'm kind of in a creative position, Oh, it's too late. You didn't go to Harvard. I, I know. Well, that's <laughs> right. what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I think about. Like all these shows are written by like upper middle-class people, people that grew up upper middle-class. And if they're about, Ohio, then they're written by somebody who moved away from Ohio because they fucking hated it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there's going to be a Hillbilly Elegy TV show. I mean, like that's the prime example of it. Like all the TV show writers are either like, you know, they went to Harvard or they're like the sons and daughters of people who are already making TV shows. So they never had like these real life experiences. They just can kind of pretend and fake it like Chris Delia, who I think is actually a pretty like funny comedian. But like he's he his father is like a billionaire, you know, like yeah. he's super he's always been like rich. He's never really had to struggle like ever um he was able to take like five years off after college to get his career started like in in you know comedy it's like if everybody had that privilege like think how many people would be like fucking successful comedians if you could just spend five years without having to worry about rent i mean come on think about how funny comedy would be too or how funny tv would be if if like the people you met at work that are very funny, but we're just like, I'm not going to do because guys I worked with at the cable company were such funny guys, but they didn't have any time to hone that skill no. or, or use it or do anything with it. And it's like, I've met some of the, there are just so many naturally funny people out there and it's framed as though like, well, but I get to do it because I worked harder and it's just, I got to do it because my wife had a job and fucking was like, go ahead and quit your job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why I got to do it. That's the only way it works. Like, you know, you like, we like, I, I, we see all these, you know, like, even like all the nepotism that we see in Hollywood, like when every star or writer or director is a son and daughter of someone, and people will say, but they're really talented, but they, what they do is really good. But, but yeah, but like they had the, you know, 
time and money and, you know, support and connections to be good. If you gave this time and money and support for their friends who had to drop out of film school after first semester because they couldn't afford it. If you gave that same time and money to their Uber driver who drives them around and is twice as funny as them, but you know, can never uh, get anywhere because he has to drive a fucking Uber to pay his bills to not be hungry. If you gave that time and money to you know, like even just the like random riders on fucking Amazon or whatever who are like putting, like I there's a guy I worked with, like he said, he told me he wrote, you know, three books, like he's written three books, but like he's, you know, working like a fucking shitty job now to pay his bills. Like he's written three books. If he had the time and money to go to fucking Harvard and learn creative writing there, who knows what he could write? Who knows what he could create? Right. Yeah. I, I, I totally, I, I 100% believe that. And, and it, I, I just, TV would look better if, if people across the class spectrum were writing things, Yeah, just if it was just a different kind of thing. And you also got to think of the cultural stuff too. Like some of these people are like, uh, are, are, have time to watch all the best movies and all the TV shows. (laughs) And they have somebody in their life that tells them what the right movies and what the right TV shows are and shit like that. So they, you know, they, they know how to make something like it, it just, they know what to draw from. They have the right influences to, to make things. Um, so, uh, we have a, a few minutes left and, uh, I can't have you on the show without talking about pro wrestling. Okay. Uh, I know you don't watch a ton of it now, but uh, right. I've been going, I went to all in and I went to double or nothing. And it sort of feels like there's a new world of possibilities in professional wrestling. Now are, are you sort of feeling that or seeing that? You know, it, it's tough, right? Like, cause I do feel that like it's nice. So I'm, you know, I really hope, you know, AEW, you know, presents this other option for the, so there, there's two levels that this ha- well, multiple levels, but two levels I'm concerned about, right? So it's like the worker level, right? What the, what does this mean for the wrestlers? Does this give them another option? And it seems uh, besides WWE where they can be better tr- treated better where they don't have to work for a guy who if they get raped on the job will tell them just to keep their mouth shut or <laughs> you know yeah. like like that is nice to have that option um of another company who that is going to pay well pay living wages to their wrestlers like that i think that's very important could make you know maybe help make some of the people who work in WWE get higher pay because they have an option to go to like this the monopoly that Vince McMahon has is just completely uh, unconscionable. Like it's 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 horrible to have like one guy in charge of entire art form. That sucks. So one incredibly bad guy. Too. Yeah, one yeah. awful <laughs> awful human being in charge of it. Now we get two uh, awful human beings because right. uh, all billionaires are awful. So you got a billionaire in charge of AEW. Maybe he'll be hands off, but it's never the case. It's never the case where like someone gives you a bunch of money and it's just like. Oh, I'm just a fan, so it's fine. It's they always have to middle, always have to middle. He's sort of though. I'll say this: uh, I don't think he's hands off. I don't think he's claiming to be hands off with the wrestling, uh, but I do think um, 
just like he's doing that fight for the fallen thing, which is like an anti-gun, like a, a pro-gun control thing. And and they've they've they have done things that make them feel and, and it's wrestling, so it's probably very cynical, but his politics do seem to be better than Vince McMahon. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> which is not a high leap, but I mean I guess it's something, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's something. Yeah. But you know, so for the workers, I'm really excited. I think that's really um, great that they have options. Like it's awesome that you know um, John Moxley can like leave WWE and do something else, um, and not have to just leave the sport of professional wrestling entirely. Like that's all. It's good. That's, I like all the reports of all the unhappy wrestlers thinking of leaving WWE. That rules. I also can, can I say I think it's good that uh, they seem to be letting people fail or succeed so far. There's no TV yet, you know, but they seem to be letting people fail or succeed on their own merit, which is something that I, I with Street Fight, I even wanted. It's like I, I've said this before, but in the early days, I kind of was like, ah, you know, it would be nice to just get a job on the radio. Maybe me and Brett can get on the local hard rock radio station and make $50,000 a year to fucking podcast, you know, what I, or, yeah. or do a radio show. But now, I would turn that down because I have something and I have, I succeed or fail on my own terms. Like if, if, if I, if my show's good, then I will succeed. If my show's bad, then it'll go away. And, uh, a lot that hasn't been a thing in wrestling for like 20 years now. It's like, you, you can succeed all the way up until you get into that company and then they remake you from yes. ground up. And they generally hurt the character, your image, and the money that, in the end, hurt the money that you can make. That's why John Moxley has been such a refreshing thing to see because they did fuck that guy up. They did some, they made him like a rodeo clown, a comedy act, and shit like that. But now he's back and he seems. Like he, it seems like they're just letting him do what he wants to do. And that's what he's claiming on these podcasts that he's doing too. And I think with wrestling, when you stop letting the guys come up with their characters, then like, what are we even doing here? You know? Yeah, it, it, and it's really like it, it's awful for the wrestlers because they've developed these skills of being creative all this time, and then they you show up and you say, "No, what we're gonna tell you who to be and what to say." It's like, they, like Moxie said on the show, it's like, "So what do I think about all day? What do I do all day with my time if I'm no longer like inventing this larger than life character that is me but accelerated? Like if I'm not coming with my promos, then what am I doing? Like with my the rest of my life that I'm not on uh, TV and it's, you know, they're no longer a creative entity. Like if you get into pro wrestling to be creative, um, if you get to WE, that's the end of your creativity. So of course you're going to be, you know, completely and utterly uh, frustrated. And so I am for AEW on that level, but this, this is the other side on as a fan and watching these shows. I am a little bit skeptical <laughs> of like AEW as a wiki program because I listened to Jim Cornette's, you know, kind of criticism of the show because he was, and a lot of people got mad at it, but a lot of the points he made were kind of 
fair. They generally are. He says, you know, over the top shit and shit he should say, but he's generally like has a head for, you know, what works in the long term with wrestling. It's not always, you know, I don't agree with everything he says, but I think he's usually like 75% right. And he pointed out that, like, when you look at something like the Battle Royal, the first thing the fans see uh, of a might might be seen of AEW. You got to take it, approach it like, okay, this is us on the big stage for the first time. In that Battle Royal, like, first of all, the rules were so complicated. Yeah. Like, you had five people coming at the same time. Did not look good visually. Didn't allow you to introduce, you know, each of these characters as individuals. And it's, like, weird because, like, you have a bunch of heels and faces walking together to the ring or people who look like heels and faces and people don't know. And there were so many, like, weird gimmicky gimmicks on the on in that match that didn't like like you need to explain to a fan what that is or who this person is like the audience at the show understood because they're indie wrestling fans so they all get it but the average fan like does not know like why this guy has a dinosaur mask on why is this why is that and they're like when you look at that match there's so there's like one or two guys who just look like meat and potatoes wrestlers <laughs> need, like that should be like 90 percent of the people in that match should have been like like mjf he just looks like a guy who's a wrestler he's an asshole get it um hangman page he's a guy he's a wrestler he's a good guy get it but then you have all these like really strange indie gimmicks like orange cassidy yeah like, you need orange cassidy can't come out in your battle royal like you need to explain what orange cassidy is who he is what he means what he's about like uh jim Cornette um uh mentioned um like when they had um Oh, I forget. I forget. Uh, in ROH, they had um, I forget what they call it. Uh, the luchador, the um, uh, like tran- the the queer luchadors. I forget the name. Sonny Kiss. Sonny Kiss. So yeah. they had um, they didn't have Sonny Kiss. I forget. I, I forget her name. But she, they had her, her in uh, ROH, and pres- and they did a great job presenting her, explaining the history of it. I forget the, what's the uh, term. I forget what the term is. They have a specific term for um, uh, gender queer wrestlers in Lucha, and they in ROH like explain Exotico. Exoticos, yes, they had they explain uh, what who the Exoticos are. They let you know, like it's you know, and he he wasn't like being his regressive self. He was just saying like, if you're gonna have Sunny Kiss, like you know, give. Uh, give them a match. Explain, you know, their character, their gimmick, what they're doing, their legacy. Mention exoticos. Explain what exoticos are, and then you can get people to buy into this. But when you're throwing that them in with like all these other wrestlers, this huge uh, guy who's busting out of his shorts, uh, AC. When you ha- and along with like a little a guy who looks like a little kid who's like super super tiny, like you get. Like you need, you can't do all of that in one battle royal. And the fact that they didn't like think about it, and that they also had all these people in a battle royal, all these gimmicks who are that are obviously like not, you know, top tier championship guys. Like, and they're not supposed to be. It's not like they're bad, but like Orange Cassie should not be fighting for the AEW championship like ever like but he was in this match Tommy Dreamer probably shouldn't be fighting for the AEW championship even though we know who he is so like it, that 
battle royale like just thinking about it like there wasn't a lot of thought put into like what should this be is this the first match we want to present do we want this to be for like our world uh, title that we're introducing because adam page winning it didn't really feel like anything because there was only like one other normal wrestler in the whole match yeah we yeah and it was yeah that's absolutely right that was a really bad like kind of first thing to do right like that was uh that was uh starting it out with that and that being one of the only things on regular tv too before you switch over to a pay-per-view was probably kind of a mistake and i'll say this i was in the crowd and i didn't know who half of those fucking guys were and yeah people were asking each other who the guys were but I, I guess not putting thought into that first thing that they did is kind of like a rough sign, you know, but, but also it is the first thing, you know, I, I, I guess like I would have thought about, so I always think about how people see things, but I also think that not some people don't, and these guys are all wrestlers. So I don't know. I hope they're like learning things from these shows that they can apply to TV. I also have the, the, in my mind, I don't think, I don't know if like two hours of TV a week is possible to make good, you know, I, like I, yeah, I don't know how, if it's going to be in an arena because it has to be live. They, I think the contract they signed said that it has to be live in an arena. So I guess like, I don't know if it's I, I I don't know if it's possible to do because it, it, you're gonna maybe have to do some of the WWE stuff and I I think I think uh, that is probably gonna be a problem but I'm cautiously optimistic that they figure it out you know <laughs> so it's, it's I think it's possible to do like two hours of weekly TV wrestling that's good I think WWE has done it I think WCW did it at times I think even TNA has done it the the keys are like having a you know having a decent amount of good matches having like promos but not too long promos right like you don't uh it, it can't you don't want 20 minute promos. That's just a bizarrity that WWE like invented and inflicts upon us. Well, you I know, also don't want, uh, can I say this? I also don't want them having conversations in the ring. Like I don't ever want to see that again. Two people <laughs> yeah. conversation in the ring is like the most unnatural way to tell a story. And it doesn't make any sense at all to me <laughs> no no you don't you don't need to do that you can have backstage promos you can have a little stage by the commentary booth where people talk that's i mean wwe used to do that um but st just standing in the ring talking to each other you don't have to do that but like so you have a diverse roster like everybody can't be on every week you need to like have like twice as many people as you actually use on a week to week basis. Um, I don't like the live thing is kind of tough. Cause if you, yeah. you know, if, cause you can't like tape two or three in a row and spread it out and like save some time and money that way. That's a, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, having to do live every week. I think that's actually pretty, can be kind of detrimental, uh, overall because they're going to yeah. have people on their roster that they're not going to be using, um, that I, all, that's often. I guess like I watched, I, I think they have to be 
one of the things I, I did want them to just do a TV sort of studio show that was like kind of like sports center, right? Where they could throw to matches that they do at house shows. Ah, yeah, or something yeah, yeah. Like that. Like that is the dream to me. And then promos can be like two pundits and boxes like they have on CNN. And you, you could really tell stories like that. But now that they're going to be in the arena, there's going to have to be matches. And, uh, I don't, I don't want to see two guys wrestle every week until the pay-per-view where they wrestle again. You know yeah. that? And I, I feel like all those things are like, I don't know how you don't do that stuff at, at this point. Like, I don't know how you, uh, I don't know how you make something that isn't basically just raw for, because I, I just, I guess I don't have like an imagination for it. And it's been beaten into my head that people don't want matches. Yeah. But that's completely like when you look at nitro, when they were beating WWE, they had matches, lots of matches and good matches. And the commentators would talk about the matches. Sure. There'd be an overarching, you know, story with the NWO or whatever, but like, then it would be like, okay, here's um, Vampiro versus Ming. And then that would be like, and you would watch that match and it would be like a good match. You just have to like, it's possible to do weekly TV, but it takes a lot of work, a lot of wrestlers, um, a lot of focus. Um, like, and no one has done it consistently for more than like a, a few months, <laughs> like really good. I, I guess the ECW was really good, but then they were only like an hour and they were, cutting together stuff from live shows and yeah. things like that. It wasn't just like they weren't just necessarily doing like one um, taping and, you know, having that be it. Like the, the, the important thing with people always like I like I, people are, have gotten kind of down on the Monday Night Wars for some reason. They're all wrong. What was interesting about the Monday Night Wars was that you never know what was going to happen next. Like in with WE now, you always know what's coming. You know what's coming next. You were, But when you were watching the Monday Night Wars, you were always surprised. You didn't know what WCW was going to do. You didn't know what WWE was going to do. If you got bored with one, you could switch to the other. and Or you could wait for ECW, and they were always all over the place, giving you something new and exciting to look at minute to minute. And that's what... AEW has to try to capture. It's like show, using like a big roster of a bunch of different people putting on interesting matches and then like having an overarching story throughout uh, the program that doesn't overwhelm anything else. Like that's the important thing. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, but you know who the real talents are out there? It's us podcasters who do... <laughs> Two and a half to five hours of radio every week. Yeah, and uh, I do six. But you know, that's I'm a you know, no, I do five. I did five and a half hours of podcasts on Sunday night. Wow, I know, just a great man. But uh, <laughs> one of my favorite podcasts is yours, uh, you. Struggle Session. And uh, we got things happening soon. We can't yes. really get them all announced. Big news. Big but news there's coming. big news coming. I promise. Well, actually, you know what? This isn't coming out to the vacation. And I expect to have all that ironed out before then. So now me and you are teasing big news that could have <laughs> possibly already come out. <laughs> so get really excited, everybody, for this. 
Um, thank you for doing this, Leslie. And thank uh, you so much for having me, man. Tell them where to find you. Yeah, uh, patreon.com slash struggle session. Get all our episodes, especially uh, good is our John Wick episode. If you haven't listened to that yet, we get Eileen Jones. I, a lot of people don't know that the world's best film reviewer is a committed socialist, but she is. She's brilliant. She's smart. She's funny. And she was super excited about John Wick. And she's uh, so please go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. It was a great show, and uh, their end game review was great. And uh, being a guy that knows nothing about Star Wars, I love their Star Wars shows. <laughs> Anytime y'all talk about Star Wars, I'm like, I don't know who none of these people they're talking about are. But God, they hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing the vacation show with me, Leslie. Uh, you're one of my favorite people to to talk to and to have on the show and uh i i like doing every i i mean i like performing with you i like podcasting with you you're one of my favorite people so thank you for coming on here with me oh, thank you so much man all right i'm gonna stop it